Hey everyone, this is uh, another edition of the Working Experience Podcast. The Working Experience. Route 93 North is almost at a standstill. It's a rough one out there this morning. Snow and sleet. There is no service on the... Stand clear of the closing doors, please. Uh, Yeah, folks, we're going to be a few minutes. We have train traffic ahead of us. We should be moving shortly. John, we need that report ASAP. Where are we on that presentation? Man, HR wants to see you. Did you return that email yet? We have a team meeting at 10. To stay late, Bob. Teamwork makes the dream work. <laughs> They're moving in a different direction. And after the meeting, we'll have a breakout session. Who ate my Where are my hot pockets? This microwave is disgusting. Oh, God, what's that? He was wow. clipping his Sexual toenails at his desk. I can't take it anymore. I can't take it anymore. Hey, everyone. This is Maddie Kay. And John. And we are here with another edition of The Working Experience, talking about busyness. Everybody's got to be very busy. And this is not just at work, but um, certainly it applies. And one thing I would really love a scenario in my head is when my boss would ask me, why were you out three days last week? My reply would be, I was working on me. No, absolutely. I mean, my, uh, my default mode in the, uh, in the office is to have as many screens facing me and open as possible with things blinking and all, you know, all beeping alerts constantly going off Well, my shuffling papers. My point with that was I, I find, uh, and we'll get more into the the what people have said about this, because I did go into a, uh, I forget which website it was, but it quoted a bunch of different people. But it does seem like people talk about being so busy, but then they would say something like that. Like they would take three days off work and say I was working on me, like meaning they were sitting home doing nothing, basically. And it's, it's this, this whole idea and, you know, the, the general topic of this, of this particular episode of the podcast is this um, this need, this kind of badge of honor of that you're you know constantly busy, filling your your life almost your working life almost down to the minute, so you can appear to your your colleagues, your coworkers. Um, dare I say, friends at the office? I don't know. That might that be, might be a strong term. Um, that you are you're hustling you know you're always you're always hustling you're always moving the ball forward you know it's it's a constant um you know constant game of i have this image of a dog chasing its tail it's kind of running around and it's and it's like you're um you know it's not necessarily looking at it from like an efficiency standpoint it's a it's a busyness standpoint it's as long as I'm busy, as long as I'm checking email, as long as I'm checking social media, as long as I'm optimizing myself, the brand of me, then, you know, I'm, I'm succeeding in this world. And, you know, for me, it's like, you know, why don't, why don't you step off that treadmill, my friend, and ask yourself the question, succeeding at what? Nobody, nobody asked that because I think that, um, you know, there's a famous quote like you know um, it's like all the world all the world's problems would be solved if if uh, men and women could 
could sit in a room in complete silence for 10 minutes. You know, it's like, <laughs> we, um, we have to stay busy. We, it's, it's now a national society, society identity of this, this badge of honor. It's like, I work 80 hours a week. I sleep 2.7 hours a night. You know, just, you're, you're optimizing everything. All, all your got gadgets are optimizing your life for for what? You know, it, I, it's, it's, it's crazy. I, uh, yeah, I mean, I try to get at least, you know, 10, 11, 12 hours of sleep a night, you know, just, <laughs> I try to, I, I mean, sometimes I go for 13, you know, I just, uh, just snooze it on out. You know what, you know what I do is I, um, I don't, I don't, you know, sleep wise, I, I used to be sleep deprived because I would, you know, I, I fell under this mentality where I was, I was in this, working on one of my startups and I just, I didn't get a lot of sleep. I was getting like four to five hours of sleep a night and it affected my health affected my my eating patterns uh it was just i would fall asleep in the middle of the day it was just horrific now what i do is it's just it sounds so stupidly simple is when i'm tired at night i go to sleep yeah and then in the morning i don't have an alarm i don't wake up to an alarm really just i naturally I, and I naturally wake up early. I naturally wake up almost always before 6 a.m., sometime between 5 and 6. Naturally get up. I, rare is the instance where I sleep uh, after 6 o'clock, except if I, you know, if I have to catch a flight or it's a very important meeting or something, I will set an alarm. But 99% of the time, I'm not setting an alarm. I'm just getting up. Huh. Um, and you know, that served me you know, you know, fairly well. You know, and yeah. it's, it's the other thing is people are like, I don't have time. I don't have time. You know, it's, it's just like you're so busy with work, blah blah blah. But you have time to to binge watch, you know, House of Cards or you know, Game of Thrones. It's like, no, no, my friend, you got time. You, you just don't have your priorities straight. Yeah, I do find it curious that there's Amazon, there's Netflix, there's Google TV, YouTube. There's you know everything on television and people talk a lot at work about what they watch this and that and then in the same sentence we'll be saying how they're so behind and they feel so pressured and this and that and i'm like well you had enough time to watch like four hours of american horror story or something you know and i'm like i mean do whatever you want like i don't you know it doesn't matter to me but like you you keep talking about how stressed out i think i i find that People feel like if they talk about how stressed out they are, somehow they're doing something about it. Like that is, you know, again, like you were using the term badge of honor. You know, like if I acknowledge, oh, I've got so much to do and I've got this and I've got that and data. And, but like, okay, we'll go do something about it. Like just, you know, go. No. no. Well, it's and it's curious you use that term badge of honor twice because... That was in one of the articles I read. It said, busyness has become a cultural badge of honor. And Tim Kreider in the New York Times article, The Busy Trap, said, busyness serves as a kind of existential reassurance, a hedge against emptiness. Obviously, your life cannot be silly or trivial or meaningless if you are so busy. Completely booked, in demand, every hour of the day. 
and yeah, I mean, I think he's got a point. Like, I remember being over at a friend of our, a mutual friend of ours house around Christmas. This was like, I don't know, 15 years ago. But I, I just remember this woman talking like, you know, they, they were recently married, she and her husband. I didn't know her. I, I think I'd met her once or twice. And she kept going on about, we're booked solid every weekend for the next three weeks. Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. We're all booked up. But I'm like, what do you want, a medal or something? <laughs> like, okay, you know, great. People... Yeah. Well, this, uh, I was kind of paraphrasing from the article, but it said, our daily habits also reflect our cultural mandates of busyness. Professionals stay at their their desks more than 50 hours a week. The average amount of sleep we get has waned to a mere 6.1 hours a night, while our smartphone use has tallied up to five hours a day. Apps tracking our latest assignments to the steps we've taken, like Fitbit, I put in, make us feel like we need to be constantly task-oriented. And I thought about that, like, now it's counting my steps every day, and it's like, oh my god, I haven't taken enough steps today. <laughs> like, and then you're going to have anxiety about that. About that, you know, so it's you know, like... It's, it's funny, I, I have a Fitbit, I wear a Fitbit, and I do do the steps, and you, in a sense, I'm always looking to see if I could outstep myself. <laughs> and then I, then I like kind of think about it, and I was like, and I'm like, John, does it does it really matter <laughs> how many how many steps you've taken? And it doesn't. Why does so, Why does I John keep say, John yeah. keeps circling the conference room? <laughs> why does he keep doing yeah, that? Just, just doing wind sprints up and down. <laughs> Oh, no, it, yes, it is. But it, it's sort of like, it, it's becoming that, like, futuristic, like, everything is quantified, everything's counted, everything's data. Like, like I don't have a Fitbit. You know, I do try to run uh, a few times a week. And, you know, I've gotten better at it. And I keep thinking I should get one so I can kind of, you know, see what I'm doing and all that. And then I think, you know, I just kind of enjoy running. Like, I was reading... Um, a book by this guy that my uncle, it's not Ed Sheehan, it's something like that. Doc, Dr. George Sheehan, I think his name is. And he writes about running. And he started running kind of later in life when he was about 45. And he's like, he's dead now, but he was religious about it. It was like a religious experience for him. And he just talked about like, you know, the enjoyment of it. Like, just just enjoy it. Like, go out and, and really enjoy it. And he said he really had a problem with People saying the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And he's like, no, that's ridiculous. You can get up and exercise. You just don't. So your spirit is not willing to exercise. So, like, kind of cut the crap. Like, get off the couch and go out and, and, and run for, like, five minutes. And enjoy it. And, you know, I'm not saying Fitbit would suck all of that enjoyment out of it. But it, I guess it would be kind of like, oh, I got to beat my time and... Oh, I got it, you know, like... Yeah, you know, it, it's funny because I've, um, you know, I, I've been running for, God, maybe over 30 years. Yeah. You know, you know, about three decades. I ran in, um, in high school, I ran in college, ran, ran afterwards, and it's funny, I just, 
probably like in recently in the last decade it was always, it was always like competition for me and you know competing and exceeding and I used to always like listen to music on a run I'd always take my you know iPhone and I'd listen to music as I run and you know I was like you know what and it was it was very habitual you know for me and, like, and I decided one day I'm not gonna I'm not gonna listen to music you know I'm just gonna I'm gonna enjoy um, enjoy the run, and now I use it almost as like a meditative uh, thing. Where oh, yeah. I am, I'm running, I'm concentrating on my breathing, I'm, you know, very much like focused in on, you know, the, the experience of now. Not to get all zen, but it, and it's very, um, um, you know, like you, you said with this, uh, with this doctor, you know, it was a it's almost like a religious experience. It's because it, it, you know, your body number one is meant to be in motion. You're in motion. You're, um, you, you get natural chemicals released, um, you know, in the brain. Um, you know, kind of like the runner's high. Yeah. And you're very, you're very. It's a very clear thinking activity. So what I'll do is I'll, I'll pretty much like you know I'll I'll start out with the run and I'll just kind of empty my brain and just kind of focus in on my breathing focus in on you know j just my surroundings and I'll just kind of empty my mind and if there's a problem or a creative thing that I'm having trouble solving which you know Matt as you know as a, as a writer you know once you focus on that thing it's you're not going to come to the solution no. you're just going to get out of your head so I'll use running to solve those problems but not focus on the solution. I won't go out for a run and be like, okay, here are the, here are my obstacles. I need answers to these. Start running. Where are my answers? Because yeah. you're just going to be chasing your answers. But if you, if you empty your mind and just, uh, um, you know, you, my best ideas have come on runs because I'm not expecting anything and I am, you know, focusing in on the activity in that moment. And then just out of out of nowhere, solutions come, ideas come. Well, I mean, and you're, uh, I mean, we've known each other for about 20 years, and I used to just absolutely sneer at the idea of running. I thought it was idiotic. I didn't do anything yeah, physical. And, and let me just say, as a preface, uh, I mean, as a side note, 20 years, too long. 20 years. On day one, we should have <laughs> 20 years pushing rocks uphill, basically. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh... Yeah, I mean, I, I've been a recent convert in the last four years. You know, I stopped drinking. I'm diabetic, so I also need to do it for my blood sugar. And, you know, at the beginning, it was torture. I couldn't even run half a mile. I mean, it was just awful. And then, you know, I was talking to different people about it, and my uncle was like, well, you know, don't do it to, like, lose weight or get in shape. Like, just do it. Like, just, you know, get on there and do it, and don't worry about it, and that, you know, because I was, like, trying to lift weights, and I really don't like doing that. I find it very boring, and and you're right. Like, once you get out there, and, you know, it, it's also very good for a lot of other things in life because, like, it takes time, but you will get better. Like, it, I finally realized if I just keep running, I will get better. I mean, I can't help it, but to get better at it. And that, right. that'll happen. Yeah. It just takes a lot of time. You know, like, the well, first time... It's just like, you know... You know, in life, it's like, you know, you can improve at things. Yes. But people don't want to put in, you know, hard work. No. They literally want to 
rub off that lottery ticket yep. and, and win a million bucks. Or they want to you know, start the company and then the next day go to the bank and deposit a million dollar check. Right. No, my friend. It, <laughs> no. It's, it's a grueling, grueling process. Well, I, I, know, people, and you know, society, like society, tells us like everyone should be a winner, everyone should succeed. But in my opinion, you should, you know, embrace the process, embrace the up and downs. Don't. It's not all about. Not to say you want to be a loser, but you know, it's not all about winning. It's the process. Like, enjoy, like, love the process. Well, I feel like people, uh, and again, I learned this over, you know, course of last few years is, um, and somebody had a, a good quote about just work without expectations, like stop expecting things because, you know, like if you expect to lose 20 pounds in a month going to the gym every day, that's not going to happen. So if you do not reach that expectation, you're going to stop. Whereas if your expectation is just, I'm going to go to the gym today and I'm going to run or I'm going to lift weights or I'm going to use the machine. Like you can do that. That's within your control. But like, I mean, like, you know, I've written one book. I'm trying to write another book. You know, if I have the expectation it's going to get published, well, that's totally out of my control. I mean, I can send the book out. I've sent the book out to like 25 publishers nobody has published anything nobody's published any of my short stories nothing but it's like you know you just keep writing like i mean that's not in my control like these are just people who have looked at my writing or probably didn't even look at it and are just like nope probably burnt it yeah so you know it's like maybe maybe three words in right right they printed it out and then they that was it. it yeah and so, th- right. So th- that's the thing. Like, I, I have no control over that. So it's just like, you know, do you enjoy, you know, I enjoy writing. I really like it. I think it's valuable. And I'll, I'll write another book and another one after that and do a short film and do this podcast. And, you know, maybe it's successful. Maybe it's not. But I, I was telling, I was trying to talk about this to one of my classes. And I said, you know, the way I've kind of broken it down in my head, if you take 100 people, 80% of them. 80 of those people are not going to start anything. They're not going to start a book, a short film. They're not going to start a business. They're not going to do anything. Then you take those other 20 people and maybe out of those 20, 15 are going to try. They're going to fail the first time or the second time and they're going to quit. So you have maybe 5% of people, and it's probably less, who are actually going to write that next book, start that next business, try to do another short film, whatever it is, and those are the people who are going to be successful. Like, not the best and the brightest, not the talented ones, the ones who are like, all right, let's try this again. Try yeah, it. I, I mean, I, I try agree it again. with you. It's, it's perseverance and your ability to believe in yourself is unquestionably the, 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 the best qualities you could have. Because it's not... Look, and we, we need bright people. We need smart people. Uh, but it's, I mean, I, I, I actually wouldn't even call myself a success. But the, the model that I've followed is I've, I've failed dozens of times. Colossally. Like two or three. Embarrassingly. You know, <laughs> Colossally and embarrassingly. <laughs> yeah, in, in my 
failed. Failed. It almost put the uh, the family out on the curb. Um, <laughs> I remember distinctly back in 2008 when I was in the city. I had I had literally no money. I had uh, debt, um, and I couldn't. I didn't have enough money to take the subway to work. <laughs> I had to call my dad. Yeah. With hat in hand and ask him to borrow a hundred dollars because I had to wait till I get I got paid on Friday. Yeah. It was it was that bad. I've um, made that call. Yeah, I've made I've made that call. It's not an easy call. It's but... not an easy call. Yeah. It's not it's not an easy call. No. And no. it's just there you know, you have to um you know, you get knocked down, you gotta dust yourself off and you gotta get up and you gotta try it again. Or or that analogy is like there are you know let's say out of those 80 people there's probably a good 50 that that talk a good game they're going to start that next app they're going to write that next book they're going to do this feature film but they never do anything no and the other 30 they just don't they don't even care it's no not even, they, no they, they have, they, <laughs> no for whatever reason not to judge them they just they have no yeah you know, no desire to go down that road. They're just happy. You, know, you can live, live a very content life. Yeah. You know, yeah. happy taking their paycheck and, and uh, you can be extremely happy doing that. And I sort of envy yeah. those people because they don't exactly. have, I sort of envy those people because they don't yeah, have to yeah. put themselves doing these podcasts and writing short films and, yeah, uh, you, and all that. Literally, you're, you're, you're almost teeing yourself up. You're to set. Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Well, I just saw this thing yesterday. I just caught a little bit of it. It was called Facing Schwarzenegger. And it was one of those shows they do on Nat Geo. And they had Lou Ferrigno on there. And they showed some scenes from Pumping Iron. And uh, they were in, in South Africa. And Lou Ferrigno came in third. Which is not bad. Not bad at all. His father said, when we get home, you're a loser get your stuff out of my house. That's what his father told him. And Lou Ferrigno's had a pretty good career. First of all, he didn't lose. He came in third out of, I don't know how many competitors, but I assume it's a lot. Yeah, you're a loser. Get out of my house. And he really said it with very little bitterness. Like he didn't, you know, go into the whole thing, but he got to play the Hulk. He was on a TV show kind of recently. He's had a pretty decent career for himself. And, yeah, his father said, you're a loser, get out of my house. Now, most people, that would have just crushed. I mean, they would have become drug addicts and alcoholics and, you know, just... I mean, I don't know how I would react to something like that. That's that's rough, hearing that from your father. And his father had trained him and all that, so... But, I mean, yeah. on the other hand, you'd want to say, well, you trained me and you raised me, so, you know. <laughs> and, you know it's, and it's like, you know, out of... You know, just going back to the, the hundred person analogy, and then I, I agree with you about fifteen try, maybe one or two things quit, and then they and they fall back into that fifty that's always talking a good game. Yeah. And then you know, five out of the, the next five, you know, they're the they're the guys and the girls that are just you know they they keep on hammering along, and then there's there's you know, and and that's where you know success, quote unquote, success lies is the. You know, and, and the other thing too is, 
the the time horizon is is measured in decades, not weeks, not months, <laughs> not years. It's measured in decades. Now, if like, this if this thing isn't successful in like two months, I'm done. <laughs> yeah, I've already pulled the plug. I already pulled the plug. <laughs> but, but you know what I'm saying? It's not yeah. just it's not just uh, it's it's the culmination of your work or your career, you know. And then and then from from a larger standpoint is like going back to this busyness is you know statistically you know people uh, you know the, the average salary has gone down the number of hours worked on a weekly basis has gone up benefits have tanked uh, vacation time has tanked and you know yet given all of that we find it admirable or again, like a badge of honor to say that we're working harder. You're working harder for less and less and less. It's almost like if there was a conspiracy, there was a, a, a like a cultural, like a, an, an elite, right? They were pulling the strings that they would then unleash this cultural narrative onto the masses and just snicker as they're counting their coins <laughs> in, in their huge vault. Because all the money is being pulled, it's, it's all shareholder value. It's not going back to workers. Well, listen, it's, listen to this statistic. It's funny you mentioned because I'll flip ahead here on my little my notes I took. Um, this was from the Hiring Lab, which is a a division of Indeed.com. Which I'm not that familiar with Indeed, but I guess it's like a job hunting site or something like that. Yes. Yeah. Is that right? So I think it's like a. Um, like a like a monster jobs or is that might that I'm really kind of dating myself with that but it, yeah. I, I think it's like a, a job finding yeah so it says um, only 16% of american jobs are quote good jobs <laughs> listen to this most americans are worse off than they were in 2012 and they fear it's going to get worse 16% of U.S. jobs paid enough in 2015-2016 to keep up with the cost of living. Growth or opportunity jobs are concentrated in five fields. Healthcare, management, business and financial operations, computer and mathematics, and architecture and engineering. More than 50% of openings in those fields are clustered in nine states. California, D.C., New York, Massachusetts, Maryland, Alaska... New Jersey, New Mexico, Washington State, and Virginia. I thought Alaska and New Mexico, Alaska particularly, was kind of an outlier. But uh, people who live somewhere else or lack training to work in one of the growth jobs have earned less over the last 12 years, that's in real dollars, and have sunk deeper into debt. Pretty grim, but the future looks even worse. The lower-end jobs are far more likely to be automated. So that is a, uh, and again, this is just from that one place, but you do hear more and more like, you know, Trump keeps, you know, touting this whole thing about keeping jobs in America. And it's not so much that jobs are being outsourced. And this was something I had to learn, which is why reading is still not a bad idea, uh, that jobs are being automated as opposed to just being sent to India or someplace. Yeah, you know, there is the whole, like, AI and automation of certain jobs, and, and that's going to, 
um, you know, certainly eat into, you know, employment. Um, they really don't know, like, how that's going to play out. You know, where is it going to, um, you know, possibly zero out and create, you know, more programming jobs to write those AI programs than the jobs that are being lost. Um, but, you know, I'll, I'll, what, what I've seen is, you know, over decades of political po um, policy and just kind of the, the general, um, you know, tone is, you know, workers have been, you know, beaten down. You know, it, 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 you know, this kind of happened in, you know, the restructuring, uh, the corporate buyouts, the private equity in the 80s and the 90s, um, you know, investment banking and mergers. And, you know, 30, 20, 30, 40 years ago, you would work for, you know, an IBM or uh, Kodak or Ford and you would get a pension and you would get full benefits. Um, those days are gone. Wall Street came in and said, eh, you know what, this, this is a pretty big line item on your, on your balance sheet. You know, let's, let's dump the pensions and have the workers take care of 401ks. And that was touted as like this, this great thing. And now what's happening is um, companies like uh, Uber and, and Airbnb, um, they're all, you know, it's all contract work. So these even very large corporations now are hiring other corporations that have contract employees like Walmart and Amazon, where they're delivering packages for these companies or doing, you know, or driving cars, but they're not on their payroll. So they're not getting benefits. And this is touted as like empowering the worker when in fact, when you pull a worker's benefits, you're pulling, you know, possibly like 30% of the compensation. And in some instances with, with Walmart and Amazon is you workers show up and if there's not work that day, you know, you're, you're, you know, you're shit out of luck. You're not working that day. So you show up you know, you take the bus or the train to get there. And then this corporate behemoth that's earning, you know, tens of billions of dollars a year says, oh, you know, it's not work, go home. It's like, wait, what, is, wait, what happened? <laughs> Who's, who, you know, so it, it's now, um, workers are now being turned into commodities. And you're seeing this, it's very like, it's very like bubble-esque. Um, and, uh, you know, I like, I, I'm in New York, uh, you know, I'm working like LA, Chicago, Miami. Uh, Austin, where, and I'm working largely in like the media industry, and I and I also worked in the finance industry, and they're, you know, to a certain degree that we're insulated from these market forces because they're typically higher paying jobs, and um, it, it's it's kind of further up the chain. But you know, if if you're, you know, it's almost like nostalgia of like a middle-class family earning like $40,000 a year and being able to like quote-unquote live that American dream it, it, it's just $40,000 a year now it's just it's just it's just brutal because you're paying you're probably paying for benefits because your employer is not paying for their benefits your job security is, is out the window 
um, you know, if you get sick or injured or hurt, you're, you're done. So now you have all these people like literally uh, on the brink of poverty. You know, they've, they've got no, I, I don't know what the statistics are, but like the average American has like under $700 in savings. Yeah. Like, that's their, that's the, their rainy day fund, $700, you know, and yeah. you know, the credit card debt, you know, um, combined with you know, your mortgages, your car payments, it's just a, um, you know, it, it, it really is a house of cards. You know, it's like a, it's like a cheap tank. And a strong wind's just going to come by, and you know, and just blow it off, and just blow it down. Well, you know that that kind of administration and all the policies now are geared toward this trickle down economics, which doesn't just doesn't work. It well, you know that Reagan that and contracting. Now, you know, we're going back to this idea that you know, cut taxes for the rich, give money back to the rich. Well, what happens is the rich will just save more money. They're not going to create jobs. Yeah. Um, well, that I was going to say the contracting thing that's really hit the uh, the legal profession very hard. I mean, there there was a woman who sued her uh, her law school because she hadn't found a full time job in three years since she graduated. And a friend of mine up here, we were just kind of talking about it. He works for a, a company that um, helps helps other companies comply with SEC regulations and they used to have an in-house counsel somebody they you know they're on retainer whatever and um they got rid of that and they just hire a lawyer for like 40 bucks an hour when they need one and right. a friend of my brother's I, he had gone i mean years and, and another guy on npr had gone for eight years he had not been full-time employed anywhere as a lawyer and you know that that's that's a lot of debt he's carrying uh, and a lot of school. And, you know, people always equate like, oh, you're a lawyer, you're rich. It's like, <laughs> buddy, unless you graduated from Harvard, Yale or Stanford, uh, it's rough. So it's even hit those sectors, you know, that um, which, you know, people would think that would start to create some kind of political change, even among the more conservative, wealthy. But I guess not. Yeah, I think I think it's um, you know look there's there's always there's the, there's the pendulum shift so now it's squarely in the Republican side um, with with their theories um, and then it's gonna it's gonna come back to the the Democrats where it's gonna be you know you know more um, more social uh, aspects but you know. The, the real issue is these, these social safety nets that we, we put in place are now being eroded. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's a scary proposition. I mean, even for, let's, let's just say you're like a rich industrialist or a rich entrepreneur. Um, who's going to buy your stuff? Who's going to buy your widgets? You know, if you... You need a strong and healthy middle class. So, you know, real estate, construction, finance, um, you know, media, uh, food, you know, everything is, you know, the economy, all of the GDP is based on that. You can't pull the rug out from under everybody and just say, 
hey, I made it, you know, you should be able to make it. So for me, it's the, the idea of, look, there should be like a, a level playing field. And, you know, that's difficult. I know there's, there's politics involved, there's money involved, there's greed involved, but as level as we can possibly make it where, you know, your, um, uh, your education, you know, should be free. You, you, sh- you should be able to, um, you know, succeed. You know, in in uh, whether you live in a, uh, a rich suburb or New York City or you know inner city LA, you know it, it should be you should have roughly the same. So it's not a quality of outcome. There's never going to be a quality of outcome. It's got to be a quality of opportunity. A quality of outcome is fascism, socialism. It's you're it's impossible. One, if one guy or one girl wants to hustle more or wants to go to medical school for 15 years and become a doctor, then they should earn more money. And they, should, you know, they, all, they work very hard for that as opposed to someone who is uh, you know, picking strawberries. And there's nothing wrong with picking strawberries. Um, but you know, as a society, you know, we have to um, you know, by our laws and our policies, it says a lot about who we are. It's like how we treat the least amongst us. You know, it's like I think it's in, in Denmark where, you know, you're, you know, they have a very strong safety net and they just decided that, you know, I mean, it's a much smaller country, but they decided that, look, no one's going to starve, no one's going to become homeless. You know, that's it. That's that's like the bottom line. In America, that that's not true. Um, and, and to the point where now it's going to be okay for children to be homeless and for children to starve and for children not to receive medical um, uh, services. So it's, it's a very, you know, I know we, were, we started out talking about busyness at work (laughs) we we took a we took a detour but um well i think that it 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 does that that busyness kind of does take people's eye off the ball and um well there's a lot of you know factors which is you know you have people who would just want a job like a job that pays twenty dollars an hour they don't really care what it is twenty five dollars an hour and they can just work and live. And then there are other people who are earning $85,000, $90,000 a year. They don't feel like they earn enough money, and they hate their job. And they're oh, well-educated. It's, it's across the spectrum. Some, you know, it's all perspective, right? Yeah. Like you could have you know, someone earning $25 an hour and be you know, literally happy as a pig and shit. Yeah. And might be driving a bus. Sure. And it might... You know, and they know their hours, they have their pension, they have their benefits, they're happy. And then you can have someone, I mean, I'll even up the ante. I know people who make half a million dollars a year who are miserable. I mean, <laughs> just absolutely miserable. I know people that earn millions of dollars a year that are miserable. Yeah, but, you know, forget the pension and the benefits. I mean, somebody who is maybe an immigrant to this country who is, you know, it really doesn't have an education. If they could earn $15 an hour, $20 an hour, like 
I don't think the idea of like personal fulfillment and me time and all that, it's like I can pay for food. I can pay for a decent apartment and I can feed my kids and and I'm happy. Well, yeah, they're not they're not concerned with um you know, going to do a uh, um, a crystal healer and making sure that all their furniture in their room is facing the right direction. Well, I mean, right. If you have if right. hunger, shelter, uh, being warm. Right. You know, yeah. those take precedent over all this other crap of yeah. you know, it's like almost like rich people problems. Sure. Oh, and they they are totally totally different i mean the people now are doing these like mindfulness uh seminars i saw it on 60 minutes where they they go they pay thousands of dollars to do this to shut their phone off and sit and eat a meal quietly and sort of think about what they're doing and i'm like you had to pay a thousand dollars to figure that out i mean like shut your phone off i think to be (laughs) successful like i i will tell kids in my classes like Shut your phone off. Concentrate on what you're doing. Like, it's not rocket science. Shut your phone off. That should probably be the first step in the right direction. Shut your phone off. Well, it's, I mean, it's, it's the same thing that, you know, it's like if you want to, you know, lose weight. I mean, you can just go on Google. It's, it's very simple. You know, it's, it's, um, it's, it's really diet and then partially exercise. So it's like 80% diet and like 20% exercise if you want to lose weight. And it's like, you can, you can read up about it. Um, you just basically stop eating processed foods, just stop eating crap, fast food. And you know, and your, what, what your calorie intake is, and then you'll just, you'll gradually lose weight. No, 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 no. I don't want gradually. I don't want... See, yeah, I... but it's better to... Uh... <laughs> no, but that's the way people are. Like, they can't deal with gradually. It's... I'm going no, they to... they can't. They, they want... They want uh, 50 I'm pounds. I'm not sure the right name, but they want Billy Jones to come in a fat burner. <laughs> yeah. We're out for 20 minutes. We're going to stop. We're going to start again. And then we're going to eat a potato. And then we're going to double locks. And you're going to lose 15 pounds before Christmas. And you're like, oh, crap. There's only eight days until Christmas. I'm going to buy this Billy... Um, this Billy app and, or these Billy tapes and I'm going to do this. And then you plot the tape in once you do it. And then you're like, Oh crap, this is kind of hard. Yeah. Uh, and I didn't lose 15 pounds. Yeah. <laughs> I thought I was going to lose 15 pounds. Is that a real thing? Is that a real guy? I, 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 I don't want to, there is a real guy that does this, but I don't want to like disparage his name. So okay. Jesus. <laughs> Yeah. I'm just using as an example. There is someone called Billy something. Well, I told uh, Tony Garretts last year that my New Year's resolution was to gain 25 pounds. <laughs> and he pointed out something. Very, I mean, anybody can lose weight. You just stop eating. I mean, if you want to gain 25 pounds, I have to put the work in. I got to eat, you know, pretty regularly. <laughs> I got to get up in the middle of the night yeah, and have. No, you, no that's no joke. You got yeah. to put the that's right. So, I mean, just sit around and not eat. I mean, that's not really... But to get back to what we were talking about with, like, you know, it, it is really two odd things about, like, you know, people earning all this money. And I guess you could just call it being spoiled. Like, they're just still not fulfilled. But as my cousin-in-law, Dave Camp, said, like, 
I don't think we were meant to sit here and look at spreadsheets all day. Like, of course I'm not fulfilled. Who would be fulfilled doing this? Like, it's yeah, just, well, well, that's, I mean, you know. That's the, you know, the lie that is, you know, perpetrated on all of us. That, you know, this is like, here's the cultural story. Like, here's the dream. Like, get that BMW, own that house. And then you get locked into it and you're like, good God. I'm taking I'm, I'm <laughs> yeah. damn, damn getting up. I'm going on a commute I hate. I'm going to a job I hate. I'm seeing people that I hate. <laughs> right. I'm staring at a computer screen and I'm coming home and I'm eating, you know, a TV dinner and I'm watching some crap on TV. And then I'm so jacked up from the day I can't fall asleep, so I gotta take pills. Then I get up and I do it again and then for freaking shower breaks I gotta bring in the plumber. I'm paying interest on my, my credit cards and my mortgage and my house. My kids are kicking me in the shins. You know, it's, 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 the Amer- it's the American dream. Right? There you go. Yeah, stop complaining. <laughs> yeah, what are you talking about? What are you complaining this is, about? Uh, this is heaven. Yeah, it, it, I guess it, it has become very much a, uh, like, uh, you know, I was talking about a, a, I was talking to a special ed teacher on Friday and she was saying she had this kid in her class who who has no disability beyond being very lazy. He just doesn't do his work. And there is actually something out there now which is being put onto educational plans called homework avoidance. That kids don't want to do homework. And this is being labeled as a disability, a learning disability. <laughs> I mean... Not not doing work. Well, because I feel anxiety when I sit down to do my homework and this and that. I'm just like, holy, how is anything going to get done in 20 years? Oh, <laughs> how is anything, how is anything going to get done? Like, I don't, Yeah, it's just like, I want to be empathetic to kids who have, and, and I do have kids who have, you know, real disabilities and whatnot, but it, she was, and I've heard other special ed teachers express a lot of frustration at like, Last year, there was a girl who, she attended school about 50 days out of the year. And her parents, when she was out of school, would just say, well, she has anxiety. And so she can't go to school. And she, she graduated, you know, we, we, the school wanted her graduated. But, you know, I was talking to a special ed teacher and I'm like, I don't, what, what is she? And I met her. She's a very nice girl. Seems bright all that but it was like what is she going to do when she's 19 20 25 30 years old like you have to go to work and do something but yeah. you know it was yeah, just it's, it's, it's not it's not painting a pretty picture no not at all um, um all right well listen we, we're uh, we'll, we'll wrap, we this, wrap up? this up yeah. Uh, all right. Because I'm I'm so busy. I got to. Uh, <laughs> I have a lot of Netflix I have to get through. So actually, that is, that is something. Occasionally, kids will be like, you know, Mr. Kerr, did you grade our essays? Or, and I'll sort of deadpan it and say, No, I was busy last night. I had a lot of Netflix to watch. And there's always this pause where they're like, What? Like, and, and then, but they don't like take it as a joke. Like they think I'm serious. Like, no, I couldn't. I was watching Netflix. Oh yeah, everyone's everyone's binging. Yeah. So no, I didn't do my work because I was watching Netflix. How do you like that? <laughs> I have to. It's part of my anxiety like alleviation, you know. <laughs> All right, so we'll wrap it up there. 
And, all right, uh, all right I'm going to turn the recorder. Thanks, everybody. All right, thanks, everyone. All right.